0: I get here. (laughs) Good morning. Happy Father's Day to you as well. I just feel led by the Lord just to say that, Eric, you're a good dad. I've watched you uh, father your two girls. You're a great dad. I also just want to thank you for fathering us as a church over this this initial season of pastoring. I love you. We'll talk soon. (laughs) Um, As good as it is to get a coffee mug today or a heartfelt card, the best gift that we can get as dads today is encouragement and hope and strength from God. Amen? I'm so glad that, dads, that you are here today. And really, all of us are here today. Because every time we say, God, speak to us. Oh, He answers that call, and He does. And our prayer today is that He'll soften your heart, and like I'm saying, give you hope and strength and encouragement. Because this life, I don't know if you're aware of it, it's not super easy. (laughs) We need the Lord every single day. So let's get into God's Word right now. We're in the Gospel of Mark, but I'm actually going to pull a little audible. We're going to go to the Gospel of John first. So skip past Mark. If you have your Bible, open it up. Gospel of John chapter 1. If you have it on your phone, pull that up as well. You have in the bulletin booklet that you received when you walked in, uh, sermon notes for today, and many find that helpful to keep paying attention and follow along where I'm going in this message. But John chapter 1 is where I want to start. Listen to these words. John 1 verse 10. says this. He, who's the he here? It's Jesus, speaking about Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's some incredible truths that are described here by the author John about Jesus Christ. Verse 10, it's saying that the world was made by Jesus. Later, Paul says in the book of Colossians that all things are held together by Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the creator of the world, and the creator entered into our existence here on planet earth. Or did I remind you, this is not an easy place to live. And yet the creator of everything came into our world. Look at verse 11, though. This is really a tragic statement. It says, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Who were his own in this context? Well, it was the nation of Israel. It was God's chosen people. It was the people of God who had made a covenant through the father Abraham. That they would make God their God, and God would make them his people. So, the nation of Israel, and there were some that did accept the message of Jesus... But most rejected the message of Christ, the creator of the world, entering into our world and not received by his very own. And then look at verse 12 again. But as many as received him, in other words, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the leader, the the Lord of their life, their savior, the forgiver of their sins once and for all. It says, for those who have received him, to them... He gave the right to become children of God. You may have heard this term before, but on Father's Day, it it really, for me, takes on an added significance. Children of God. Maybe you had an amazing dad. Maybe your dad struggled. He did the best he could. Wherever you were at with your father, wherever you are at with your father, know this, that if you are a follower of Jesus... You are one of his kids. God is your father. Because Jesus came into this world to make it all possible. It's incredible. Became the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Speaking of Jesus. So, this is John giving an overview of the life of Jesus. He made the world. He entered into the world. He's going to be rejected by the world. But to those who believe in Jesus, they become his kids. Happy Father's Day. And that gives us some context for the Gospel of Mark and where we want to enter into the story here today. We've been reading through the first five chapters of Mark over the last few months. We've read that Jesus has been rejected by the religious leaders around the Sea of Galilee that had come up from Jerusalem. We've read that even the Romans are beginning to get suspicious of of who Jesus is. And today, if you flip over to the Gospel of Mark from John, go left, we're going to read the real life account that Jesus was not only rejected by religious leaders and and by the government, he was also rejected by his very hometown, the town of Nazareth. So go to Mark chapter 6. And let me have the privilege of reading this passage that I have just gotten to sit in this week. You know, the longer that you wrestle with a passage, read it over and over, listen to it, the more that you just begin to love it. I'm loving Mark 6 right now. And I hope that you do too after hearing it. Mark 6, beginning in verse 1. Are you there? This is what it says. Jesus went out from there and he came into his hometown... And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? Such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. As he was going around the village teaching, he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and anointing with oil, many sick and healing them. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so this passage matters here in 2018. As we see Jesus rejected by his hometown. He takes his disciples to his little town of Nazareth. It was about 25 miles southwest of where Jesus' main ministry was taking place at the Sea of Galilee. If you remember from chapter 5, Jesus had taken a boat and he had gone over to the Gentile side of the sea. He had cast out a demon from a man in a pretty dramatic way. And then he'd gotten back on the boat and gone back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. It was there that, as we read last week, if you remember, that he healed the daughter of Jairus. And there was the bleeding woman who touched his cloak, and she was healed. So Jesus has this incredible ministry going on at the Sea of Galilee. And then he picks up from there, as he so often does, as you read in the Gospels, and he leaves. He leaves at the height of his popularity, at the height of all that he's doing at the sea, and he goes back to Nazareth, about 25 miles, like I said, from from the Sea of Galilee. Now there was about 300 people in his hometown. 300. Less than are in this room right now in his entire village where Jesus grew up. We think this was his second time that he had been to Nazareth since his public ministry began. The first account is in Luke chapter 4, and that, didn't, that one didn't go so well. Jesus went, he stood up in the synagogue, he preached from the book of Isaiah. The people were amazed at what they heard, they began to murmur amongst themselves, and it ended up with them chasing Jesus out of town and trying to shove him off a cliff. Welcome home, Jesus. You know, Dorothy said in The Wizard of Oz, right? There's no place like home. It's not always the case. Sometimes going home can be difficult. In fact, just a little impulsive survey. How many of you uh, went to your high school reunion or would go to your high school reunion? Raise your hand. Okay, more than I thought. How many of you would... You you couldn't pay me enough to go to my high school reunion. (laughs) Okay... (laughs) I am with you on this. It's not always easy going home. That was an understatement for Jesus. Town of 300 people, his first visit back in his public ministry, they try to kill him. Here we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, he now returns again, but this time accompanied by his disciples. For sure the 12, maybe 70. What we know is there was a group of disciples who followed Jesus back into his hometown. This place of Nazareth. I was trying to think of what's a modern day equivalent to first century Nazareth and I looked up the beautiful town of Nord, California. <laughs> Population 320, so it's about apples to apples for what first, first century Nazareth was all about. Nord, if you aren't familiar with it, is up in Shasta County. Nord Uh, This is basically the only picture that uh, exists on the internet of the entire town. (laughs) If you saw uh, the Pastor Weekly email that we send out each week, I did a little challenge in the email comparing Nazareth to Nord. I said, if anyone that receives this email has ever been to Nord and can prove it, I will personally deliver a pie to your front door. Now, we sent that email out to about 3,000 people on Thursday morning, and I received one email back. And I want to read you a little bit of this email. The subject, as I opened it up, said, uh, chocolate cream pie. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what it said. This is from a guy named John. It was exciting to hear you mention Nord, California, and comparing it to Nazareth. That was a very good comparison. However, I'm not sure if Nazareth was quite as redneck as Nord. My apologies to Nord. Yes, we've been to Nord. We lived just a stone's throw away from Nord for three years when we lived in the city of Chico. And then he quotes Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. One needs to be careful when making promises. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to (laughs) obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything that he said. <laughs> so John is holding me accountable for my promise of the email that I would deliver a pie to him. And then he goes on, it's been a long time since a Marie Callender's pie has danced across my taste buds. My mouth is really watering thinking about it. I was so excited to learn of your commitment to hand deliver a pie of your choice to anyone who had ever been to Nord. Signed, John and Julie Clark, Molly Africa. <laughs> john and julie i just want to say i know you'll be watching this online later today somehow some way i'm gonna get you a marie calendar's pie to Mali, africa that is my commitment here today be raising donations after the service (laughs) let me get back though to nord for a minute like nazareth if you'd ever met anyone from nord you'd have no context what what do you do in nord never met anyone from nord i don't even know what to talk to you about in nord same in nazareth nazareth if you'd ever met someone from nazareth you wouldn't know what to talk about you'd never met anyone from nazareth particularly if you lived in jerusalem Nathaniel's is quoted in John chapter 1 later uh, from the, what we had already talked about. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> that was the impression of this little small town that Jesus grew up in. Think about this fact again. God created the universe. God had complete glory and worship and majesty in the heavenly realms in the context of the triune Godhead. Everything that he needs. And God sent his son into our world. Not just into our world, he sent his son into Nord, California, so to speak. Into this little sleepy town, 300 people, that people said whatever could come out of this little town. Nothing. What does this tell us about God? God. Well, it shows us how much God loves us. That the creator of the world would come into this world and humbly live among us in the lowest of places. Here on this Father's Day, never, never question if God loves you. The fact that he went to Nazareth is another, another check mark that God deeply, deeply loves you. Never hear anything different. And so this is Jesus returning the second time in his earthly ministry to Nazareth. And we read in verse 2 that initially the people were excited to see him. They were astonished, the word says. And this often happens with people when they initially hear the gospel. Jesus even warns about this earlier in Mark chapter 4. We had talked about this. That there's different seeds that are scattered onto the road, right? Jesus warned us that there was the seed that fell on rocky soil. To quote Jesus' words, he said, Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. There's many that are like that. They hear the word of God, they hear the gospel, they like it, they respond to it, they're astonished by it, but there's no roots to what they're hearing. And so quickly the truths of the gospel wither up in their lives. The prayer is, as a follower of Jesus, that your faith in Jesus is rooted deeply in dependence and surrender on your Lord and Savior. Not something that was here today and then tomorrow you find something better. Something that's deeply rooted into your life that will bear fruit. And sadly, the people of Nazareth weren't about that. Their initial receiving of Jesus and the good news was limited. Because you see in verse 3 that they moved from being astonished to being offended. The Greek word there for offense is actually the word scandalized. It's a little bit even stronger word, in my opinion, than offense. It's, it's they, they felt like it was a scandal that Jesus was in their town, that he had returned back. I mean, it was the equivalent of the town drunk coming back, or the loose woman who everyone rumored about returning home. They thought it was a scandal that Jesus was now back in his hometown of 300 people, and they took offense at that. It's interesting, one of my favorite preachers in the world is a guy out of New York, Manhattan, named Tim Keller. In fact, I was listening to some thoughts he had on Mark 6, and I told my wife, I'm like, this is so good, I might just play his sermon and just sit down and say, hey, listen to this. So if you get a chance, Google Tim Keller Mark 6, it's so good. One of the things Keller says, though, in his sermon on this passage, is that really, if you think about it, because Jesus is not from this world— Every culture should have some point of offense with Jesus. For an Eastern culture, one of the points of offense about Jesus is the fact that he offers grace. I had a conversation with a Muslim woman one time. She said, Matt, your Jesus sounds like such a nice teacher and prophet, but I can't accept his teachings that he can just forgive somebody so easily. That someone could live completely opposed to him, could murder and steal and cheat and lie, and then at one point just say, forgive me, and then all's taken care of. She said, that would offend me if that were the case. And so, from an Eastern mindset, for many, what they're offended about with Jesus is his grace. From a Western culture, many of us that work and live and breathe here in Orange County, As we run into friends who are opposed to Jesus, they may even initially say, like, cool teacher, guru, taught about love. But what offends me about Jesus is his sexual ethic. The fact that he calls me to live this life of a man and a woman in the context of a forever commitment. That's offensive to me. That's limiting to my freedom. And so someone in the Western culture could say that I'm offended by Jesus because of his ethic. In the east, because of his grace. The point is this, is that wherever you go, the name of Jesus and who Jesus is will be offensive. Don't be surprised or caught off guard by that. Keller goes on to say very pointed question, and i love to point this to you as well. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you are proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those around you, and no one's ever offended by you, that could be a problem. Because Jesus is offensive. But then on the same token, if everywhere you go, every single person everywhere is offended by what you say about Jesus, well then that could be a problem too. As you lack grace. So on one hand, I can feel like, oh, when I talk about Jesus, I don't talk about the hard truths that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. That you have a sin problem. And because of your sin problem, you're separated from God, not just for this life, but for eternity. And your destination is hell. That's a hard teaching. That's an offensive teaching. Maybe many of us need to proclaim more truth about that part of the gospel. Others of us, though, that part comes easy. We're constantly telling people, They're going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us need to just hug (laughs) those around us and demonstrate true relational love. So if we're offending everyone, that could be a problem. If we're offending no one as a believer, that could be a problem. Because the key is, is that Jesus is offensive. The little village of Nazareth was offended by Jesus. At first they liked him. But it quickly moved to a fence. And look at what they call him in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? They immediately attack his identity. Jesus being a carpenter. Isn't he just a simple blue-collar worker? He, he couldn't speak with this authority. Because he's, he's just a carpenter. He builds stuff. Build us a bench, Jesus. And then they attack his background, his family identity. Son of Mary, culturally we would know that was kind of a euphemism for we don't know who his dad was. Happy Father's Day. So they're attacking his identity. Satan attacks the same way with us today, doesn't he? Attacking our identity. This is who you are, your job, that's all who you are. Your family background that's attached to you, that's who you are. Satan uses those lies to attack us as well. And yet, Jesus knew his identity wasn't rooted in his vocation or even his family. Jesus' identity was rooted in who the Father said he was. Remember at his baptism. This is my son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived with this incredible knowledge of his identity. As followers of Jesus... We can also live with that confidence. Our identity is rooted in Jesus, not in anything else. Jesus then goes on in verse 4 to say this A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. So Jesus basically says, Hey, as a prophet king, much like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Elijah, the prophets of the Old Testament faced persecution and rejection. I also will face that persecution and rejection. I may be accepted in other places, but even here in my hometown, I'm rejected. They're offended by me. The prophet king is Jesus. But get this, and this is such good news. Jesus was rejected in his earthly home so that we could be accepted in his heavenly home. So Jesus came into this world, perfect communion of the Trinity, came into the world, lived and ignored, so that he would be rejected, would go to the cross, and so that anyone who would receive him, as John 1 told us, would be called a child of God. Such good news. This is the best news you could have today as a dad, that you have received Jesus Christ. Because of his rejection, you're accepted. It goes on, says this in Luke chapter 9. Just look at the screen. You don't have to turn there. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus giving up his rights for an earthly home. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities and chastening for our well being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Remember the famous line that Jesus says on the cross in Matthew 27 Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus gave up his relationship with the Father in that moment, rejected not just by Nazareth, not just by the Jewish leaders, but rejected by his own father in that moment so that we could be accepted. That should move us. That should change how we live this week. Knowing that this is the great cost that Jesus paid for you and I. He was rejected so we could be accepted. And then it moves on in this passage. It kind of flips the scene a bit. You read those first six verses, and Jesus is rejected in his town, and then he goes on to the villages that are around Nazareth, and he begins to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is here. And his disciples are following him, and they must be a little confused. They've just been kicked out of another town. And Jesus gathers them up and goes, Boys, come in close. i got a mission for you. You're going to go by twos, and you're going to go out to these surrounding villages... And you're going to proclaim the good news about me. Guys kind of looking at each other like, wow, are we ready for this? Or, I don't know. We just saw our Messiah, our king, our leader get rejected by his own people, the people that knew him the best. And now he wants us to go tell the same message around these villages. Like, what's going to happen for us? And then Jesus goes, oh, and one more thing. I don't want you to take anything with you. I'm going to give you the authority to do this. But I want you to go light, boys. I want you to carry nothing with you. No money pack, no extra coat. You can have a staff, but don't use it as a weapon just to kind of help lead you. You're going to go light because you're going to speak and teach in my authority and you're going to fully depend on me. And then when you get to those villages, go to the first house that accepts you and just stay there the whole time. Because if you move around, that might show people that you're kind of in it for yourself. You're looking for the best opportunity. You're trying to kind of move up house by house to see who has the richest, nicest backyard. No, stay to the first house that accepts you. Be humble. Be in my authority. And be completely dependent on me. Oh, and by the way, if if you get rejected, take your sandals and just shake the dust off of your feet. Now this really had some deep context in the first century. You see, Jewish people had this cultural tradition where when they went over to a Gentile town, before they entered back into their hometown, they would take their sandals and they would shake the dust off of their feet. What this was showing was the immorality of the Gentile cultures would not be brought into their hometown. They wouldn't take the idolatrous worship of other neighboring cities and bring it into their own family. And so they were showing by demonstrating this, that, hey, we're aware that we've just been in places who don't honor Yahweh, and now we're coming back to our town and our hearts are still for God. That's what they meant when they would do this. Now Jesus changes this meaning. He goes, hey... I want you to shake the dust off your feet, not because someone's Jewish by birth, but because they're either born again and follow me, or they're not. That's the new dividing line. Do you follow Jesus, or do you reject him? And so the disciples are sent out with this message, with nothing on them, and with a charge to shake the dust off of their feet. If so necessary. How do you think they were feeling at this point? Uh, do you want to go first? You, here, you walk in. I'll, I'll, I'll just be right behind you. I've told this story before, and it's one of my favorite stories of being a pastor. But... I'll never forget, we did this trip with uh, high school students for several years called Operation Good News. We'd head down to San Diego, Fourth of July weekend. We'd take about 20 high school students here from Calvary. In the morning, we'd train them how to share their faith. And in the afternoon, we'd go on the beaches of Ocean Beach, Pacific Beach, go up to La Jolla Heights, go up to the colleges. And we'd release these kids to share Jesus with random strangers. How many of you would sign up for that? It was intimidating. Here we had high school students from Foothill, Elmo, Orange Lutheran, Calvary Chapel, Irvine. They were doing this. I was so proud of them. But I remember it was always interesting to watch that initial kind of entry into sharing your faith. We'd have them go in groups of two, just like this. And it kind of be one of those things where you'd kind of start walking a little bit slower so that the person ahead of you would kind of get ahead of you. And maybe they'd be the person that first shared. And you could just kind of watch them because it's intimidating to do this. We had split up different groups, and um, I needed to be with a student. We didn't have enough student to student. So I went with this guy named Jonathan. I've told this story before, but I just love telling it. And he's nervous, and he walks up to the first person he sees at Ocean Beach. And he goes, Hi, my name's Jonathan. I go to Eldorado High School. Um, I'm here telling people about Jesus Christ, and you should do to Jesus Christ. And I think you should do to Jesus Christ. And, and do you want to accept him? And I'm like, Oh, no. <laughs> This guy's going to cuss us out, or throw something at us, or what's going to happen right now? And he looks up at him, and tears just flow down his face. And he goes, I just drove here from Sacramento. I had this huge fight with my wife. I don't know what to do with my life, and I'm just staring out at the ocean going, what's the purpose? I want Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. amazing. The authority of Christ can do miraculous things. That was also the same trip where we had a high school student walk up to this couple on the beach and they go, hey, we'd like to ask you, do you believe in God? And they said, yes. And said, well, we'd like to ask you some deeper questions about that. What do you think about Jesus? And they had this nice dialogue and so they could tell quickly that these this couple was believers. They were Christians. And so then one of the kids stuck his hand out and goes, hey, you know, my name's Ryan. And the guy goes, my name's Franklin, Franklin Graham. (laughs) So he had (laughs) been preaching to Franklin Graham. So uh, Franklin Graham is now a believer. You can be assured of that. (laughs) The authority of Christ can use our weak message. No tool belt, no money, don't know where I'm going to stay. Christ can use that in amazing ways. We could all get up here and share just stories of that. That's even our own story, right? Of someone who shared Christ with us. The disciples both proclaimed and demonstrated who Jesus was. It says here in verse 12 and 13 that they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil, many sick and healing them. The amazing thing is, in this culture of Nazareth where they were being rejected, the Spirit of God was working to call people to Himself. He was using these bumbling disciples to do it. If He can do that in the first century, He can do that with us now. I mentioned John and Julie and the dilemma I have to deliver this pie, and it got me thinking, you know, they serve in a hard place. They're in Mali, Africa. There's actually uh, advisory against any United States citizen to go there right now. And they're serving with all their heart in Mali. And I asked them yesterday, hey, give us a one-minute encouragement from Mali, Africa. I got to give you a pie, so you can do this for me. And uh, this is what they said. Watch the screen. Isn't it dangerous? Isn't it difficult? Isn't it challenging? The truth is yes. The reality is we live in a world that we never dreamed we would live in. We're in a war-torn country, and yet we feel safe and secure under God's protection. What do you do when those outside stresses get to you? You go to God's Word, and in that Word it says that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And you read again about inviting His Spirit to dwell within us, and in that Spirit... We find joy and peace and love. And we put on our armor. Don't forget about the shield of faith. It's all there. Drawing close to the Lord gives you the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's more than just a cute saying. It's more than a bumper sticker. It's what we should be living by each and every day. It's great. Jesus was rejected in his earthly home. So we could be accepted in His heavenly one. He gives us the strength to, once you accept Christ, to go on mission for Him. He's called each of us to unique missions. We will face rejection, but even as we face rejection, know that Christ is with us. It's His power and authority that we go out in, we're dependent on Him. So be encouraged. Do not give up the mission that God has called you to. But I want to back up, and we'll close with this. John chapter 1 says that whoever receives Jesus will be his child. And I want to offer you, maybe you're here today with your dad, and you're not a believer. Maybe at one point you accepted with enthusiasm the good news of Jesus, but then you've kind of moved on. He became offensive to you. I want to invite you to reconsider jesus christ here today what better day to become a child of god than on father's day the gospel is simple is that we are sinners in desperate need of saving we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in order to save ourselves our only hope is someone to come into our world live the life that we can't live Sacrifice blood on our behalf because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And then do that eternally. Jesus fits that bill. As John 1 says, Jesus created the world, He came into the world, He died for the world, and He rose again to make you and I forgiven once and for all. So I'm just going to open it up, ask you to close your eyes. I promise we won't do anything weird. But if you're at a place here this morning where you need, you know you need forgiveness of your sins, I want to invite you to receive Jesus today simply by saying a prayer like this. God, I come to you on this Father's Day and I know I need Jesus. Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for risking rejection. Thank you for going to the cross to die for my sins. In this moment, I ask you, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I place my faith in you, as the leader, the Lord of my life. May I live for you, on mission for you. If you've prayed that today, I want to invite you just to come meet me. I'll be over here at the prayer point. I'd love for you to make a beeline up here. People will wait for you. It's Father's Day, but they'll wait. I'd love just to encourage you. And we'll have also some other Christians over there that would love to continue to pray with you. And we have communion also on both sides. What a great day here on Father's Day to remember that you have a Heavenly Father who sent His Son into this world. So communion's available as well. So let's continue to worship. We're going to kind of push it up a little bit with some great Southern California worship. Emphasis on the Southern. And let's continue to lift up this good and glorious God.